LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the established church by established church leaders. My name is Josh King. Recording here in central Arkansas, and I am joined with my good friends, Micah and Sam Rayner. Uh, well, Micah's last name is not Rayner, but uh, how are you guys doing? That would be a very awkward podcast if Micah's la- new last name is Rayner. Let's all do it. Everybody change their name to Rayner. We're all going to be there. I, I wouldn't mind. I love the Rayners. They're some of my favorite people. I'm a fan. Yeah. Also a fan of the Freeze. So, um, I'm also a fan of the freeze, <laughs> the fries, <laughs> as everybody who reads your name and doesn't know how to everybody. say everybody. Yep. That's right. That's, that's, uh, my, my second most popular question. The most popular question is how do you know those guys? The second <laughs> one is how do you say Micah's last name? And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I always just look at him straight in the eye and say fries. It's fries. That's, it just says like what it sounds like. That's what it is. So you're um, perpetuating the problem. You know, I perpetuate a lot of problems. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I'm having a cup of coffee right now that tastes just like blueberries. Are you guys, I didn't mean what? to do that. It, it tastes like blueberries. I was at this, you know, hipster coffee shop. I was talking to the owner and he's like, man, you got to try some of this. And he says, it tastes just like blueberries. I don't ever, as much as I'm a coffee fiend, I'm not the kind of person that, oh, I, I, I taste hints of almond. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. So <laughs> I just taste coffee. And so I try it, and it does taste just like blueberries. And so I bought a bag, just not so much because I liked it, but just I felt pressure to buy it because he was standing right there. And um, we're brewing it now here at the office, and everybody's kind of enjoying slash feeling it's kind of weird. Do you guys – now, Mikey, you're not a coffee guy. I know that, right? Not at all. Sam, are you a, a coffee guy? Do you taste hints of almond in your coffee? I drink Folgers out of a Stanley thermos every morning. Wow. That's just so old school, man. But it's vintage. I like it. And uh, I was recently at a Bolts game, hockey game. Mm-hmm. And some dude was uh, kind of, you know, you have to walk through the row to get to the middle seat. And he's walking through our row and he's got blueberries in his beer. And literally... Every dude that he walked by made fun of him. <laughs> it is. It was a, a it was a scene. I mean, it was, I, 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 you know, I don't. I mean, I've never seen blueberries in beer before. It was just yeah. like I don't. I don't even know what's going on. But literally, every dude was making fun of, fun of him. So I don't know if we should make fun of you or or what. I'm just my blueberry. It's probably a good thing you're not drinking beer in the morning because it is still morning. That's true. Um, yeah, that's 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 one reason. So I'm. Uh, Let's talk about something that our listeners actually care about besides coffee. Um, Budgets. Budgets, buildings. Really, I'm very interested in finding out you guys' opinions and advice on campaigns. Sam and I are typically reticent. Sam and I are typically reticent to share our opinions. Right. That's why we have a show where we do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the background. Um, I talk to guys regularly. There's this debt that they've inherited. There are a number of ways that you can do this. The 
the old um, the one that Matt Chandler is kind of credited for is just pretty much like we need two million. It's in your pockets. Give it or we don't do this. Right. So that's a pre debt sort of campaign. Um, there was no thermometer on the wall. Those sort of things. I remember those um, as a kid. Um, campaigning has changed quite a bit. So if you're not familiar with um, some of this, I've got a bunch of these. Uh, for instance, let's just start with the basic question. Does a budget, um, a financial campaign work? Yes, no, good, bad. What do you guys say? Yes, if done right. I mean, let's assume that you do it correctly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Micah? Yes, it does work. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a reason why they've been doing them for a long time and they continue to do them. If by work you mean raise money, yeah, they're pretty effective at that. Let me ask you this, though. Here's one of my rubs. I've only been the pastor here in um, at Second Baptist for three and a half, four months. And so I'm looking ahead and thinking, like, we're not in any sort of financial strain, but we could do that and get some stuff built around the campus, pay off some of the debt, those sort of things. We've got another campus downtown that we could renovate, those sort of things. Is this is there a timing issue related to this? Should I wait? Should I be here five years or should you go in and kind of be the the champion of raising this money? How, how does that play out? And I know it's specific to every culture, but do you have guidelines for that? I'd, I'd say where's I mean, if you're really new, then I would just ask where where's your church? I mean, it, I did the same thing here at West Bradenton. I mean, less than a year in, I was jumping into a, a renovation project, but because, hmm. because the church really wanted to do it, okay. so I was I was going with the flow. I was going with the tide um, of the way people felt. They were expecting it. They wanted it. They were ready. Um, so if you're new and that's the case, I mean, you know, that may be why God brought you in is, Hey, you got to, let's just jump right in and let's go do it. Mm -hmm. If you're going against the flow, if you're going against the tide, if you're pushing, if you're having people push back hard on you, I'd, I'd caught, I'd, I'd raise a lot of caution about, about doing something like that. Micah, what would you say to the guy who says, I'm not going to worry so much about the campaign on that. Like I've got so much time and energy instead of, uh, campaigning and putting this energies towards raising money i'm going to raise and you know i'm just going to help grow the church if we grow we got more money etc well i mean that's been by and large the not not intentionally but that's been sort of the default posture that i've taken in every church i've ever pastored and uh, but we're but having said that we're in the process of probably going to launch a campaign next year because we need to we need some increased space and we're going to have to build something to to you know accommodate that space so i'm not opposed to uh, opposed to a campaign, but here, here's the problem I would say with the idea, well, I've only got so much time, so I'm just going to focus on growth, and, and growth will provide increased money. The problem is, first of all, the idea that growth will create increased revenue is often a fallacy, and if it does create increased revenue, it increases it typically at a much lower rate than the church that's existed for a long period of time. So let me give you a couple of examples. We look at per capita giving. I'm much more interested in per capita giving than I am total giving. Per capita giving is much more intriguing to me. So so explain how you find that out real quick. So per capita giving, we take the undesignated giving, so budgeted giving, divide it by 52 weeks, and then divide it by the number of people who attend our church. And that includes, I, I use the number, the number I use is every single person on the campus. So infants, adults, everybody. Okay. What's the average per person you know, investment on our church campus. And I know what our number is at Brainerd. It's about $42 a person or so, you know, per week. And uh, that's good. That's a really healthy number. What's the we, target? What do you want it to be? Or what well, does I don't the know average that listener is, want it to be? I, I, I mean, 
Dr. Tom Rayner, Sam's dad, I've seen him say before that somewhere between $25 and $35 per person uh, per okay. capita is pretty typical for a healthy evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's that. So we're, we're doing really well. But we launched the North Georgia campus um, in August of this past year. So we're four months in or so. And we found that per capita giving on the North Georgia campus is about $15 per person mm-hmm. uh, per week. And part of that is because you don't have institutional loyalty, you know, among those who are new. A lot of it's because about half the congregation is new to our church. They've come. They were unchurched, and they've come since we've launched the campus. And uh, those folks, you know, aren't don't know how to give. I, I read something recently that it takes a person six months of attending a church before they give for the first time. Mm-hmm. So all of that basically means... The more you grow, the more your per capita giving is going to shrink. In other words, the more you have to spend per person is going to be smaller. The mm-hmm. more you grow, in a sense, uh, until you can help those folks catch up to develop healthy patterns of giving, you know, you're, you're, um, you're actually going to have to do more with less. But I'd be curious to hear Sam's thoughts about that. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think the whole idea of I'm just going to focus on growth and the giving will come is, 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 is a pretty dumb thing to do. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm just going to focus on growth and discipleship will occur. I'm just going to focus on growth and missions will occur. Um, right, because stewardship is a, is a discipline. Yeah, this is ultimately a stewardship issue. Right. We're, we're talking about something that's, that's critical to the health of the church, which is an act of worship. Mm-hmm. So you don't just say, well, we'll just grow and then maybe worship, you know, we'll just assume worship is going to occur. I mean, you, you really have to work at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can look at it from a pragmatic perspective of, hey, we just, we just need more money because we've got to go do something with this money. We have an, a big vision or a building or something we need to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's also a spiritual aspect of this. Um, neglecting, neglecting teaching your people about giving, neglecting teaching your people about generosity and a lifestyle of sacrifice— I mean, you're missing a huge part of mm-hmm. the calling of a believer. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I understand that you, some would push back and say, well, that's, you know, a lifestyle of generosity and living biblically is completely different than a, a capital campaign. And I would agree with that. But here, here's, here's reality. You don't get unless you ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got people in your church, likely, most churches have at least one, if not multiple people, that could potentially be high-capacity givers if they're not. Mm-hmm. Frankly, they're used to people asking them for significant donations, whether it be the, the, the civic organization that's around town, their alma mater, where they went to, to college, their university, the seminaries, you know, our Southern Baptist seminaries that, you know, that's our tribe or just any seminary. Um, you know, these are, these are things that people give significant dollars to. If you're not putting a vision out there, if you're not putting something out there for your people, uh, they're not going to give to it. And let's just be real. They don't have a reason to give. So uh, one thing a campaign can do is strategically focus your church in a direction that it needs to head, and giving can be part of that. So I would not, I would not recommend doing a campaign just to raise money. Um, you, you need to do a campaign that is strategic and that pushes your church in a certain direction. You know, this is why we're doing this. Um, so... And you, you certainly don't want to be that church that does a campaign every year either, you know, raising mm. funds, that, because that, that gets a little old and it gets a little tiresome. Right. Um, but I, I do think there's a benefit to two things. One, teaching your church about a lifestyle of sacrifice and generosity. And if you believe in the tithe, I, partic- I, I do. Um, I realize that's a controversial theological subject. But teaching your people about giving. And mm-hmm. then actually having something big that the church can rally around to go do um, that could be a campaign. So... Yeah, I, I think all of this is healthy. We're, we're coming out of a campaign. Uh, actually, we're in the middle. We're coming out of starting, launching the campaign. We're right in the middle of actually raising the funds now. Yeah. Um, 
It's been a, a roaring success at our church. I want to shift gears here just a little bit and ask you guys about like the target number. Um, you've heard different, you know, you base it on your budget, you base it on your giving, et cetera, et cetera. And then also this concept of building or raising campaign dollars for not only something to give to, something to believe in and something to get in. Um, those are some uh, little trinkets that I've heard and I was wondering your um, take on it. But before we do, I want to share with our listeners about the Living in Effective podcast Here's a little ditty for it. What does it mean for God's Word to be effective? Christianity Today and the Christian Standard Bible have partnered together to answer this very question in the New Living and Effective podcast. In Season 1, join host Richard Clark as he looks for the hidden history of the Bible, wrestles with tough questions, and explores what the future holds for the church. Listen and subscribe to Living and Effective wherever you get your podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. I enjoy it. was listening to it this morning on the way to the office. But... Um, now, hang on. To, a ditty is a short, simple song. Um, that didn't you sound, should have sung I sang, that. I sang that. You didn't. If you're going to talk about the living ineffective podcast and give a little ditty about it, I, I was I was anticipating you to sing something, Josh. I'll drop a rhyme if you. Uh, for the sake of all of our listeners, I don't think that Sam or Josh <laughs> should be singing or Man, rapping or dropping any beats. Fantastic singer. <laughs> I sound just like Garth Brooks. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Can you imagine if Garth Brooks helped us do the the, the sponsor stuff? Like if he was singing it, that would be, be very so, popular. That'd be so fantastic. He could do uh, a ditty. He man, could definitely do a ditty. I, lo- I love some Garth, but um, we'll talk later about how Garth is actually better than George Strait. But oh. right now, what I want to uh, get back to is this. Uh, first of all, the target number. Um, Different formulas. You guys know what I'm talking about, but share kind of some understanding of that, Micah. How do you set the target budget number for this campaign? You mean in terms of how much you should try and raise? Right. So we're going to raise $82 million. That'd be awesome. (laughs) If you do, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I I think it's going to depend on the church and the context and the situation. Okay. I, I do think in the very best scenario, I mean, and I'm not a financial expert, I'm just from what I've been told, the research I've done, in the very best scenario, the most you would ever want to try and raise is three times your annual budget. But I mean, that would be uh, that would be a really particular situation where everything is really healthy. I think part of the question has to be, do you already have existing debt that you're trying to pay toward? So that's mm-hmm. going to be part of the question when it comes to raising additional debt. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Um, but I would say somewhere between zero and at the very, very most in the best ideal, you know, most ideal situation, three times your annual budget, but somewhere in between those What's your formula, Sam? What would you suggest? Well, it depends on what you're raising money for. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a a worship space. We're doing a renovation, um, which typically raises less than a new building. Um, But then the worship space is probably an easier thing to raise money for as opposed to, say, a parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, children's buildings can do a little better than gymnasiums. Uh, You know, just so, man, it completely depends on the what you're raising money for if you're talking buildings you can also do emissions campaigns too and a lot of churches do that annually mm-hmm. um, i actually like an annual emissions campaign would like to move in that direction um, for our church as well um, so we're not just talking about debt retirement building new buildings you could use a campaign for any number of things but i think most people think in terms of building something or renovating something yeah um we just to, so to give you an idea of what we did we're we're renovating about half of our campus the the, the campaign we're, we need to renovate the whole campus and we're working our way towards that but mm-hmm. um the campaign is about half the campus including the worship space parking lots things like that 
Um, and it is, I mean, we have raised right at our annual giving, budget mm-hmm. giving. Um, and we consider that a success. So one so times, one times, is one, what one time the okay. annual giving. So we, we're, you know, we, we bring it in 1.4 this year, 1.5, and we have commitments of over three years at right at, you know, one, three to one, four. Okay. Um, so we're, we're one times, um, now granted we, we're almost halfway there already and we're not even a year in. Mm. So we've seen a lot of the funds coming up front, which was is always better when you can get cash on hand as opposed to a commitment. Um, you know, some people can give out of assets and they give a lot up front. Others have to give out a cash flow and they give over time. So and do you so, guys, I've, I've heard people say that they'll, they'll get their top givers and sit them down and ask, you know, or like even say, we're going to go into this campaign. Uh, you've heard us talk about this, but we haven't, you haven't even launched the campaign yet. But I know a lot of highly prominent, successful churches out there. Um, let's say successful on the financial side. Just that's all we're talking about right here. Um, they will launch a campaign and say uh, it's a three million dollar campaign. We already have promises of a million dollars from you know twelve donors, and we want you to participate in that. Do you guys do that sort of idea? Uh, it's a tactic. I mean, it's a bit old school. I do think that you need to sit down with your key people. Mm-hmm. Um, you will miss out on 20, 30, 40% of what you could bring in if you're not asking one-on-one with key people. Really? That's, that's fascinating. And I think a lot of people would feel for lack of a better word, like icky doing that. Like you don't know, that's not really an area that they want to do. It just depends on how you do it. I yeah. mean, it, it doesn't have to be icky. Mm-hmm. Micah, do you do this sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, we don't do, I have not done that before. I, I, I agree with Sam. It's probably the wise thing to do but remember i've not run campaigns before so i mean mm-hmm. this is you know it's different for me we're we're in the process of moving forward we're you know we're and we are going to probably build what sam described as the ones that you can get more you know more folks to invest in a, a big building that is a combination of an auditorium and kids space and it'll also have a few small um, senior adult classrooms so that that one building can be a self-contained space for our oldest members uh, for their life group and then for their worship space. So that's coming next year, and it's going to be a pretty large campaign, and we will sit down with some of our folks who are able to you know, to give more and just say, hey, this is coming. Are you willing and able to be mm-hmm. a part of this um, up front? But I don't have a whole lot of history in it in the past. And I, you know, one of the other realities is I've never pastored a church with debt. And so I've been on staff at churches with debt before, but I've never been a senior pastor of a church with any sort of sizable debt that's more than anything, just, you know, more than just a tiny little fraction of the budget. Let me throw another wrinkle into this. I was speaking with a good friend of mine who's a pastor in Fort Worth, and he has a lot of experience with these campaigns. He not only learned under what a lot of people consider to be one of the best, but he also has done these at his church. And his philosophy, as well as his mentor's philosophy, was let's say you want to build a building, let's just use round numbers, it's a million bucks to build this building. And uh, the payments, when you finance the whole thing out, it's going to be uh, 100000 a year. He would say not to do um, – he he wouldn't do campaigns to raise the million. He would do a three-year campaign to raise the 100000 to raise the payments. And so he's he's just doing a campaign to raise those payments, assuming that once the building's built, um, once the, the growth happens and there's excitement and stuff, you will grow and then you can do this other, you know, another campaign down the road. In fact, he says, I'm always going to be in a campaign. And the other wrinkle to that 
which is worth exploring is what he has learned over time pastoring and what he has seen in, in the church he was on staff at was let's say you're, you're successful in that campaign and for three years your people are giving an extra 100000 in that campaign. At the end of that campaign, they don't go down the, the giving raised by that percentage. And so it was kind of back to what you were talking about, Sam. Um, if you don't ask, you won't give. He kind of looks at it as they won't learn unless you teach. Like this is a tool to teach them greater stewardship. And so it was two wrinkles there that I wanted to get y'all's opinion first. Raising the entire funds for the building to build debt-free or raising the payments um, for the building to kind of... Yeah, that's a com- okay, that so down. that's a completely different strategy. You're talking raising cash flow versus raising capital. What do you think? Um, I, I mean, I'm much... If you're building an asset, if you're building capital, I would much rather raise capital to mm. match... Funds match what you're doing. Um, now, if you have a an operational need, a cash flow need, then yeah, go into a cash flow campaign. Um, now, it may be working for this guy, and that's great. Um, he may know his church well, and this is just how they need to do it. So I'm not saying that he's wrong. Of course not. I would just say I would be I would caution anybody. Um, in fact, I, it raises a lot of red flags for me, um, simply because you're not matching what you're doing. The, the, the type of funds that you're raising doesn't match what you're doing. You know, you get hit by the bus, you're going to leave a church with a boatload of debt. Right. Um, and, and the cash flow may or may not be there. Um, so it, it, it is um, it is a more f- uh, fluid way to approach things, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, and, it, and you can probably get to your goals more quickly by, uh, by doing that. But it also comes with a significant amount of risk, particularly interest rate risk in this environment. Um, now, you know, as of this morning, there's a lot of speculation as to what the Fed's going to do in 2019 and raising rates. I was just um, speculating about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wake up in the we'll see. speculate about the Fed. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's important <laughs> because it certainly ties into the interest rate that you're going to get on a note. Um, but but let's say, you know, you go into this with a variable note and um, and it's secured with part of the property um, and you're doing ca- you're doing you know, you're raising cash flow. But then something happens to where you don't have that cash flow. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. So I would just caution anybody about doing something like that. I I would much rather raise capital for capital expenses. Sam's last paragraph reminds me that if you are a pastor and you don't understand half of the words that Sam just said, that that's okay. Like not everybody does, but you can't just ignore it. You need to go and find some advice on it. Stop. Yeah. Stop just saying like, I'm not a, I'm not a financial person. And then you don't pay any attention to that side of the church, the finances and the stewardship of a church and of the individuals in the church are a huge part of our lives. I mean, we all recognize the way that money affects us and the way that money affects the church and ministry and mission. So you can't just ignore it and be like, that's just not my cup of tea. If it's not, that's fine. Go find some advice. I mean, that's why I have Sam, but you go find your own. That's um, <laughs> that's what you need to do. Micah. I think, yeah, I was going to say. Cash for capital. Well, so, so let me speak to something that's sort of an element of that. I'm not going to, I mean, Sam is much more intelligent than I am, but he, he did say something that I thought was interesting, or you said something about your friend that I thought was interesting. He talked about always being in a campaign mode, and he talked about how campaigns help create uh, patterns of um, good stewardship, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've kicked around recently is the concept of a one fund, moving to a one fund giving approach, where yeah. uh, you know you eliminate campaigns and you eliminate all special offerings, all year long, you just ask, you basically say, okay, our targeted giving number 
this year incorporates all of those previous things that we've asked people to give to. Mm-hmm. And then we ask people, we basically do one campaign every other year asking people to commit to give to X number of dollars. So just as, it, for example, let's say your budget is $100,000 and you usually give $2,000 to a, you know, an international missions offering and, and $1,500 to a North American missions offering and $1,000 to a local you know, offering. Well, now you're at 135, 145, you know, $104,500 is your total giving through the year. Plus, you know, we're going to have $1,000 a month in building payments or something like that. So that's $105,000. Instead of saying, okay, we're going to raise the budget and then four times during the year, we're going to come back to you and ask for more money for these special offerings. We're just going to ask now, will everybody commit to to give what they're normally going to give, and we budget for all those special items. The churches that I've talked to that have done that have seen substantive, I mean substantive increases. And one, yeah. yeah, one of our staff members who's now working with us and is helping us think through it, at, at his previous church, they saw a 40% increase in their giving in a single year by moving to a one-fund approach where you ask people to strategically think that way and then give generously. And, uh, and I'm not talking projections. I'm talking actual giving, a 40% right. increase. At a church with a pretty large budget previously. And so, um, but what that does is it does keep you somewhat in perpetual campaign mode. You're, you're, you know, you're in this every other year campaign. But it's a campaign towards stewardship and generosity more so than just specific projects. I would say that where I found that approach, the approach of my friend in Fort Worth, to be somewhat something that you might think through is not future-oriented but past-oriented. Let's say you go to a church that inherits a debt and you're trying to manage that sort of debt. It may be beneficial, the way we were thinking through it, was to do a campaign. This was when I was in Texas. To do a campaign that would uh, cover the payments for the next three years because we knew exactly what they were. You know, we, we were already making those. Cover those payments. And part of the pitch of the campaign was taking that, that if we were getting that in through the campaign, we could take that weight off of the budget and leverage that towards mission and ministry. So we were in in the early offering, in the first, you know, the initial offering of the campaign, we wanted at least the next year's payments. And so that way we could budget that way. And then the idea was to, we, we've got that side taken care of. So when the bank comes, we've got the money to give them. But as money comes in next year from our normal ties and offerings, then we can leverage that towards better investment in mission and ministry, which a lot of churches that probably our listeners are taking, especially if you're going into an established church or a church that is um, probably a lot of them have debt then, um, or a good number of them have debt, then there's more money going towards the debt than is going towards the mission and ministry, and that creates a self-perpetuating problem. You know, So um, that's where I thought that that campaign idea might be something worth thinking about. It's not something you're creating. It's something you're trying to help fix. And Maybe after three years, your church is different because you've invested three years of mission and ministry money. Thoughts, or ideas? So, yeah. So let me let me let me just jump in a little bit. I, the, the idea of a one fund is very tempting. Yeah. Um, you know, you have it's it's simple, it's flexible. Um, there are definitely some benefits to that. I've I've heard uh, anecdotally of successes with one the one fund. I, I sometimes wonder those churches that tried it and failed. We probably don't hear about them <laughs> um, because you know we're not advertising the failures, right? But um, but 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 I I would imagine that there's there's some good in this theory. There's some good in in moving in this direction. But I would also say that it probably works for ninety percent of your givers. But there are a segment of your givers that will 
that we'll want to give specifically, particularly in established churches, right? So, you know, a lot of it's established churches, you, you inherit a budget in an established church, and you, you got 60, 70 designated line items sometimes, sometimes more than that. And, and people are giving to these line items. Now, that, that many times is not healthy. Mm-hmm. But what a one fund does is it, it kind of does away with the idea of I'm going to give to this specific thing. Mm-hmm. And you may miss out on substan- a very substantial gift because you're not asking specifically, you're asking generally. That would be one of the, if I was to play devil's advocate here, um, I would say that that's one of the downsides of a one fund, but I do see many of the benefits as well. We're doing, a, we're trying to implement a hybrid, and I'm not there yet. Um, so, I, you know, it's something I'm still working with my stewardship committee on. But I want to, I want to move to three buckets um, eventually. So it's not quite a one fund, but it does away with a lot of the designated stuff. Um, the church, which is the operations, the missions, and then building. Um, so I'm I'm trying to get us into the idea of thinking in terms of of the three areas to give to the church. Your tithe three funds, three funds. Your tithe goes to the the church. Actually, it goes to God, but you give through the church. And then the two other buckets that we're going to have kind of ongoing campaigns in a sense, mini campaigns would be missions, and it'd be like a one fund for missions, and then building, and mm-hmm. kind of have a one fund for building. So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a hybrid, uh, whether or not it works or not, I have no idea. I haven't implemented it. I haven't even gotten buy-in yet from, from, uh, key people in the church. So I'm still working on it. Um, talk to me in a year and I may say, yeah, I, I didn't even, I didn't even get to start it, but yeah. that's kind of an idea that I'm working through right now is we're, kind of three buckets or three funds. We're up against the clock, but I do want to ask you guys just as a note, uh, maybe a quick response. Don't. I've heard, don't just try to like say, hey, here's our debt, so we're going to raise this much money for our debt, or this is how much um, the thing costs, so we're going to raise that. There's always this element of something that you can get in and something you can believe in. So like if you're going to raise a million, um, give, you know, set aside 200000 for the renovation of the lobby and then put 100000 towards foreign missions, and the rest of that can go towards your debt. You know, um, something you can give towards. How, is that good advice? No. Should they definitely do that? Real quick. Oh, if you're raising money to build something, mm-hmm. what are you going to use the building for? Mm. I mean, what kind ministry will happen? What about you, you Micah? Have... Do you always have something you can get in? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I always use that paradigm. I mean, I, to me, vision is what motivates giving. However that vision is going to sort of coalesce, that's the question is, do you have a big, compelling vision that that excites people. I, I mean, that's what they're going to respond to. And so, yeah, I don't necessarily think in those paradigms. I mean, I think they're helpful. I like them. I've never, th- never heard of them before, but yeah, I mean, that would be my question. Is it a big compelling vision that grabs people's you know, hearts? Yeah. That's all the time we have for today. In just a moment, I'll give Sam's personal cell phone number. You can text him any questions you have about finances, but before <laughs> I do, we are excited to be a member of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Make sure that you are subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes, as well as our partners in the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. And we'll check you later. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.